Welcome, everybody, to the first podcast that will be traveling through the book of Genesis. I'm Scott. And I'm Brad. And this is not about us. Once again, Brad and I want to thank you so much for listening. But more than that, we want to thank you for participating. Now, you don't have to connect with our website or with us directly to be participating. No, this is all about encouraging you to participate with God directly. We hope that your connection to Him increases daily. And to that end, we want to encourage you to invite Him in to open your hearts to truth as we are going to do the same right now. Brad? Yahweh God, we invite you in as our honored guest as we look at our origins in Genesis. As we look at the book that shows your want to be in a relationship with us. Help remind us that we want to be in a relationship with you because you are the awesome one. As always, I want Scott and I to just be the tool that you use to introduce yourself because it truly is not about us. It's about you, the creating God, the creator of the universe, the earth, of all the people, the animals, everything. It's all your design, God, and we're amazed by it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Now, I want to say a couple things before we jump into the book, just kind of let you know where I'm coming from, all that kind of thing. I first started uh, this Bible study, I don't know, a while ago, a year and a half or so ago, And I went back to restart for these podcasts and I was surprised at how much I had grown since going back just that short amount of time. So this was really cool for me to go back. I looked at my old notes and I could see a place in Genesis where I started to dig even deeper. So going back to Genesis 1-1 with the same methodology that I had towards the end Uh, really started to help. Also, Brad and I have discussed a lot about, we have our Bible studies with each other. We've had it for a while. So a lot of this we've already covered with each other. So I made it a personal mission to find new things. So to... uh, That excites me because I remember the original stuff we went over and that blew my mind. So yeah, I'm anxious to see what else you got for me, Scott. All right. Now, there's also a book I'd like to suggest to you. If you're a reader, if you have the inclination to read, uh, if you're not, hope maybe you can get it audiobook. But uh, the book is entitled The Creator in the Cosmos by Dr. Hugh Ross. And I'm going to bring this up again in another podcast in more detail some other time down the road. I just wanted to bring it up now because in the first chapter of that book, he explains how he read Genesis chapter 1 for the very first time ever after he was a PhD and an astrophysicist who had been studying the stars for several years. So he didn't grow up in the church. He didn't grow up Sunday school and, and knowing about God or looking for God. He, he says that 
he was an atheist, not so much by design, just by, you know, ignorance. I just, that's, that's, he just didn't care, uh, was just spending his time studying. And when he read Genesis for the first time, it shocked him. He was floored because it described the creation of the universe exactly the way he already knew it to be through his scientific study. And I just bring that up here as we start this, hoping that it encourages you as we begin this study of Genesis. I've read some other testimonies from scientists as well. Um, it's kind of a, a common theme for scientists when they actually put their own arrogance aside uh, and of what they think they believe and actually look at some of the evidence, they see it clear as day too. There was a design. Oh, absolutely. Now, to be fair, uh, I want to make this statement going in. Uh, well, I want to make a statement. First, I want you to consider this. Logically, scientifically, whoever God is or is not, he, she, them, or it, whoever that is, that does not change according to what you, I, or anybody else says, thinks, or act upon. Everyone going into a search for who God is has to start with the idea that we need to correctly answer that question, who is God, before moving on with anything else. Because if we've incorrectly answered that question, absolutely everything we build off of an incorrect premise will be false going forward. Like Dr. Ross, I have spent years weighing the evidence in my search for the real God. I have ended up throwing a lot away of what I once knew and adding some things that I once considered ridiculous. Uh, because I, I examine the evidence and I go with where the evidence says, not with what I want to be true. So the statement that I want to make is this. I have answered that question for myself. Who is God? And it's the one thing I said in my introduction that I will stand on. Yahweh is God. He sent his son Yeshua to die for our sins. He rose again. He sent the Holy Spirit to us. And I am going to go into this study on Genesis with that in play. I want to be fair with that. If you disagree with that, this study is not designed to change your mind. This study is going to be designed to build off of that foundation and examine the details of who God says he is. So I'm not going to go into this for the most part saying I'm going to break down the science and try to convince you of something you don't want to believe. This is aimed at people who have come to that conclusion to help you gain a deeper understanding of who God is. So like I said, I want to be fair with that and right off the bat tell you I'm not going there. This is the direction I'm heading. That also excites me uh, because I think that when you actually start letting God introduce himself, you will be amazed that he's even better and more awesome than the version you created in your own head. Yes, absolutely. No. And, and again, we've said it before. I, we've said it in two different podcasts right now. If you haven't listened to that song, Praise the Lord by David Crowder, I love it because the, the whole song says... I used to, to keep you in a steeple. I used to bind you in a book. It's basically talking about all the ways we just imagine God for ourselves. And, and I just love the passion and the heart behind it. That 
when he says, when I really started to seek you, I found, I found out I had no idea who you were and I didn't really understand. Everything I used to think about you wasn't really you. And then the chorus says, and praise the Lord for that. I mean, not exactly that way, but that's the whole idea behind the song. And I love it so much. Uh, I do hope if you haven't yet that you listen to that song. Anyway, I do also want to reemphasize something I've said before, and that is I'm not perfect. And this is a treasure hunt for me, the same as it is for you. Again, uh, part of the reason we're doing this is to encourage you to have your own hunt. You don't have to agree with us on every little thing, not expecting you to. This is us seeking God through the Bible uh, the same way we want and hope that you are. And hopefully that's an encouragement to you that we're acknowledging. We're not perfect. We're not expecting you to listen to us and say, you better agree with everything we say. No, absolutely not. You dig for yourself. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what God wants from you. Now, and we would definitely appreciate your input as we go along. By way of example, one time I read a study that was talking about how David, before going into battle with Goliath, he picked up five smooth stones, the Bible says. But the story doesn't say why. In the Bible, in that spot, the story does not say why. So in this study, it talked about if you read the rest of Scripture, it states that Goliath had four brothers. And then if you read on, it states that somebody associated with David killed Goliath and every one of his brothers. So the author of that story, uh, the, the person writing this uh, biblical study about this, uh, the, the David and Goliath story, said that David was declaring not just Goliath dead, but every one of his brothers dead when he picked up those five smooth stones. And I love that image that David knew who, everyone knew Goliath. Goliath was a famous individual in the land at that time, and his whole family was. Everyone knew who they were. And when Goliath was shouting all of these, these, these defamations of who God was, and he was blaspheming, and it ticked David off. But it wasn't just Goliath. It was his whole family that was like this. Goliath just happened to be there where David was at the time. When he went out and picked up those stones, he was picking one up for everyone in his family. So later, I'm listening to a pastor talk about David and Goliath and the story, and he had many things about that story that I was not aware of and that he, it, was, it was helpful to me. But then he comes to this part. And he says, he talks about this, David picked up five smooth stones. Why? He had no idea. Not, and he admitted that up there. He says, I don't know why he picked up five. Why didn't he just pick up one? Was the picking up five a lack of faith? Did he think he'd need more than one shot? And, and so on and so forth. So I was able, for my part, to go up and explain that to him. And he was very appreciative of me filling in that gap in his knowledge. And hey, we'd like that from you guys too. Uh, we would appreciate when something pops into your heart about whatever verse or section we're talking about. Feel free, shoot us an email with your insights and thank you in advance for that. Now, oh, did you have anything, Brad? I was just going to say too that uh, 
you know, this is a, this really is a passion project where we are, we're putting our hearts out there uh, because we have experienced God's love and, and we really, really do want to share that. Yes. Um, so yeah, if, if there's something that you feel like you want to contribute, um, if there's some sort of love that you want to give back to us or share back with us or, or just some insight that you have, yes, I, I totally agree. Uh, please do. As I'm continuing to get this podcast to, to grow, I'm looking at other ways that we can present it. Um, so, you know, eventually I'm going to have tr- find a way to do like a comment section. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, feel free to email us or, or uh, get in touch with us on Facebook um, with your insights. We would love it. Now, the way I generally do my Bible studies is I will just go one verse or one section at a time that seems to be, you know, if several verses are connected by a theme or something like that. And then I just kind of make my initial notes. Ooh, what jumped out at me from that? Uh, take everything from that. Then I move on to other things and I start to break down each word, each why was it stated that way, whatever, as I'm meditating on it to see what comes up next. And I'm praying and just asking God to reveal me uh, to me deeper things. And finally, I'll go into a deeper dive that needs further study, such as looking up the Hebraic word pictures we've talked about earlier in other podcasts. So as I do this, my thoughts on a verse or a section might come out a little bit like a scattergun, just kind of poof, everything uh, shooting out crazy. That's that's just the way I do it. So uh, hope you have fun with it. They just kind of fly around as I think about them. But uh, all right, let's not waste any more time. Let's jump right into Genesis here. Genesis 1.1, and as I've said before, I use the Hebraic Roots version. Uh, Unless I mention a different version, that's what I'm using. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, Elohim created the heaven and the earth. So the first thing that jumps out at me right there is the King James Version says, in the beginning, God. This says, in the beginning, Elohim. And as we've stated in other podcasts, Elohim literally means gods, plural. So if the King James Version had translated it directly from the Hebrew, that's the way they would have said it. The King James Version you would be reading now would say, in the beginning, gods created the heaven and the earth. And the reason I point that out is because it speaks to the plurality of God. God is often, uh, he's it's interchangeable. He's called El, he's called Eloah, which are literally interpreted God, singular, but Elohim, it, it flips them, which means gods. This is speaking to the triune God, to God the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. Which means Jesus is here at the creation. A lot of yes. Christians um, have a hard time finding him in the Old Testament, Yeah, uh, but he's right here right here with God the Father. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, yes. And just as we've said before, God exists outside of time. This is in the beginning, but it's not the beginning of God. Uh, like Brad said, Jesus is already here at this point. God does not create him and the Holy Spirit as well. This is the full plurality of the Trinity here at this moment. This is the beginning of the universe of our story, of this is the beginning of his creation, but it is not the beginning of God. God existed before this. God began this. This is our beginning. 
So, and and that gets to my next point. I'm jumping ahead. I'm kind of reviewing my notes here. And I, my next point was, in the beginning, Elohim created. It does not say, in the beginning, Elohim was created. Again, it just goes back to what we're talking about. He exists outside of time. This is referring to the beginning of his creation, not of him. Now, those first words, in the beginning, they come from the Hebrew word breshit. Now, in English, it's, it's transliterated B-E-R-E-S-H-I-T. So it looks like it should be pronounced bereshit, but in the Hebrew, from what I understand, again, I'm going to try to pronounce these correctly. I'll get them wrong from time to time, but I, the way I understand it is it's pronounced breshit, almost like you're saying bray, like a donkey, bray, B-R-A-Y, breshit. Um, in fact, Genesis, the name of the book, is translated from the word breshit. The book itself in Hebrew is called breshit. My Hebraic Roots version names the book breshit. So in the beginning, the very first words of the Bible, Genesis, the name of the book, they're coming from the same Hebrew word, breshit. So to me, that tells me that this word has a special significance. It's the very first word that God chose to put in the Bible. Now, what would that significance be? So, first of all, let's break it down. It's Hebrew letters. Bet. Again, sorry if I'm mispronouncing these, but I'm going to do my best. Bet. House. In. That's the word picture here. In fact, uh, Bethlehem. Bethel, any, any word that you see Beth in front of in, in the King James Version, this is the first letter. It is a transliteration of the Hebrew word bet or bait. Uh, the artist, uh, I mentioned my comic book one time uh, in the introduction, Spirit Man. The artist behind that, Paul Burris, uh, fantastic talent. I, I hope you've checked that out and checked out his artwork. I'm the writer, by the way. I'm not the artist. He is. He went to a college, Bethel. The literal translation, Beth-el, Beit-el. Beit means house. Bethel is house of God. Beit lechem. This is where we get Bethlehem. This is house of the shepherd. Uh, this is where they kept the sheep. This is why Jesus came from Bethlehem. He was the perfect lamb of God. He was born in the house of the shepherd. Uh, so this is the very first letter we have here is house. And what's God creating? His house, our house. He's creating a house for Adam. He's creating a house for us. The very first letter of the Bible is house. I think that's pretty cool. But anyway, oh, go ahead, Brad. No, I was just being momentarily overwhelmed by that. He's literally creating our house for us. You know, thank you, God. But Breshit, let me go on and finish those before I start talking about... See, this is, this is what I do. I just start thinking about one little thing and go off on it. Uh, this is what I do by myself as I'm studying these two. So I generally don't get very far. And this is why we love you. <laughs> but Beit, Resh is the second word. And it can mean read, it can mean person, or it can mean first. And let me say really quickly, um, these are English interpretations of the idea behind it. When you see like read, 
is a part of this. You can read that as reading. You can read it as have read. You can read it as will read, uh, am reading. You, any one of those are fair game, uh, just, just so you understand. Then the next word, uh, the next Hebrew letter is aleph. Now, this stands for ox, strength, or leader, and it's the first letter in the Bible. And then sheen, which stands for eat, consume, or destroy. And the last letter is tav. And the word picture behind this is mark, sign, or covenant. So one of the word pictures here, as we check all of these out, is the first person on earth was Adam. So we have house of the first person or, or Adam. Oh, actually, I take that back. Bayit can mean house or in. So one of the word pictures here is in Adam's strength was the covenant destroyed. So that's something to think about right here. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. But then something else I want to point out. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things of old, that I am El, and there is none else. I am Elohim. A little bit of a side note right there. Right there, he refers to himself as El and Elohim in the same sentence. So anyway, I'm going to move on. And there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and all my pleasure will I do. Right there, he says, God is declaring the end from the beginning. So, in a general sense, we see that everything in the Old Testament is also prophetic. In fact, I want to cover this right now. Prophecy We think of it as telling the future, but prophecy at its root just means telling the word of God. We, as humanity, just kind of focused on that future foretelling as a meaning for prophecy because that's what amazed us. Uh, God telling us what happened yesterday, we're like, well, God, I could have done that. You know, I, I experienced it. I know what happened. God telling us what's going on right now Maybe if he's telling us what's going on in our hearts that's hidden from people, that kind of amazes us. But generally, we're like, yeah, that that doesn't surprise me. But God telling us the future, oh, wow, that's amazing to us. But really, prophecy is much more than foretelling the future. It's, It's telling everything. The prophets of God were his voice. They would come and they would say, this is what you're doing. And this is how you're sinning. And this is how you're screwing up. And 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 this is how you're doing good. Uh, but he would give them the message of God. All of it was prophecy. Then he would say, now if you don't stop sinning, this is going to be your future, and you're not going to like it. But essentially, the whole thing was prophecy. Now, so we have here, God says, declaring the end from the beginning. So all of the Old Testament, is that the word of God? Yeah, so the whole thing is prophecy, but the whole thing, as God is perfect and he's outside of time, the whole thing does tell the future, the entirety of it. But what I want to specifically point out here is he says, declaring the end from the beginning. That very word, beginning, 
is Bereshit. So he's giving us a clue here. God just said, I am declaring the end from Bereshit, from that first word in the Bible. So let's dig in a little deeper and let's look at that, that word a little bit more. Now the first three letters of Bereshit, Bet, Resh, and Aleph, also make their own word, Bara. Now Bara means create or created or creating. Seth, the name of Adam's third son that was a substitute for Cain and Abel that were lost to Adam and Eve. Well, guess what it means? Seth means substitute. So the last two letters in this, Shin and Tav, means Seth. So within Breshit, we have Bara and we have Seth. He created a substitute. A substitute, or you can translate that as a substitute for his creation. Adam was created. Adam is his creation. But Jesus is his substitute. So right in that first word, we have creation followed by substitute. Jesus was the substitute for our sins. Now, when a covenant is broken, this is something we miss living in America, living in the Western world. In the Eastern world, they have a much stronger sense of covenant in the Middle East uh, and in that area. So this is something we miss very often, but when the covenant is broken, it can only be reestablished one of two ways, by the death of the offender or the death of a substitute who has not violated the covenant in any way a willing substitute who gives us life to repair the covenant, a sinless substitution. Jesus was the substitute who took on the sins of all creation, someone who had not sinned against the covenant in any way. This was the plan from the very beginning. Which just speaks to the overwhelmingness of God. He knew everything that was going to happen before there was even a creation. And he already had the plan of salvation. He already had the substitute. Sorry, that just amazed me for a moment. And it should. I mean, here God said, I declared the end from the beginning. From the very first word of God, he declared his plan for our salvation. And there's even more. Tav, the final letter, the very fin- the finality of this word. It, it literally, in Hebrew, it looks like a cross. It looks like our letter T. Uh, It represents covenant, but it is literally written in the shape of a cross. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. He's the firstborn of God. So when we go back and reread this word picture, we can translate this as in the strength of the leaders first, or the Son of God, destruction of sin will happen on the cross. The very first word of God. We haven't gone past one Hebrew word yet, and we're coming up with all of this. This is how amazing God is. And the thing is, if we were smarter and and we had a more intimate view of this the way God does, I, I literally believe we could sit here on this word for the next two months and keep coming up with different things. It's He's just that phenomenal. Or maybe even thousands of years in eternity. Right. And we'll still never... 
<laughs> see the full picture of everything that God did, all of his complete perfection. Now, there are a couple other words that stand out to me here. God says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, Elohim created the heaven and the earth. So to me, oh, and by the way, if I miss anything, you're like, and you're going, what about this? What about this? You didn't talk about that. Again, feel free to email us. These are just the things that jump out to me. It doesn't mean uh, they're, again, I'm not all-knowing. I'm not perfect. Uh, these are just the things that grabbed my attention, and that's why I'm sharing them with you. Different things will grab your attention, and I'd love to hear about it. Please, please comment. We're giving you our insights from our hearts. Um, so this is a study, but at the same time, we're not going to necessarily touch on every single point that you might have heard in every other study. Oh, exactly. We're not perfect. Yeah, we're we're just going to give you what's on our hearts and hopefully sharing the things that excited us um, and hopefully to excite you as well. Oh, amen. By the way, in case anyone wasn't aware of this, amen. I'll say that often because it literally translates, so be it. And, and I love that. Because when you and I say amen, we're declaring that we're in agreement. Whatever was just said there, so be it. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that. But when God says amen, oh, I love that. It is so awesome. So be it. it, it it's going to be done. God just declared. It's absolute. So anyway, let me move on from that. I, I get off on these tangents all the time. I'm getting back. I'm getting back now. So anyway, these two words, heaven and earth, jumped out at me. And so I checked them out. Heaven. If you want to follow along, if you have a concordance, I'll make it easy for you. It's Strong's Concordance 8064. The word is pronounced shama. If it's plural, if you're talking about heavens, it's shamayim. Now this means the meaning of the word itself is to be lofty. It can mean the sky, both the visible arch where the clouds move and also the higher realm where celestial bodies uh, revolve. So it can mean just up there in the blue sky with the clouds. It can also mean out there in outer space. It can also mean air, just the air around us. And it can also mean the word that's translated here in English, heaven, what we think of as, as God's home, so to speak. It can also refer idiomatically to an astrologer. So those are just some of the things that the word itself can mean. But when I look up the word picture, Sheen, mem, hey. Sheen also means eat, consume, or destroy, as we've said before. Mem means water. It can also stand for chaos. And hey, if you remember, because it's uh, part of yod hey vav hey, the name of Yahweh, hey stands for lo or behold, or it can mean the in English, the English word the. So one of the possible interpretations of heaven there's a couple here that, that jumped out at me. Heaven is the destruction of chaos. Heaven can also mean the consumption of water. And I found that fascinating because water, again, is symbolic of the word of God. It's symbolic of Jesus himself. That's why we're baptized physically. Uh, the picture is we're baptized into water because what we're supposed to see from that picture is we're being bat we're being immersed into Jesus into the word of God we are to so completely go in we're it's a symbol it's symbolism of death 
You go in, you're covered up completely, you come out a new creation. You come out of Jesus, a new creation. So here, Jesus said in John 6, 53, at the end of the verse, truly, truly, I say to you, that unless you eat the body of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourself. So one of the, so water being Jesus, one of the word pictures here for heaven is the consumption of water. I find that fascinating. It, and it all ties together with the rest of the Bible. Now, I'm going to move on to earth. The Hebrew word in this comes from strong concordance number 776. And the word is, if I'm reading this right, it's pronounced Eretz. Eretz. Now, this can mean earth as in land, just, just the earth beneath my feet, or it can mean earth as in the planet. It can refer to a country. It can refer to a field or, or just ground. Idiomatically, it can also refer to common things. It can refer to nations. It can also refer to the wilderness. Now, the word picture here is Aleph, Resh, and Sade. Again, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing these correctly. Forgive me if I'm not. I'm going to keep asking you for forgiveness. I'm trying. Now, Aleph is ox, strength, or leader. Resh is reed, person, or first. And Sade is a man on his side, the picture of a man on his side. It's also a picture of desire. Uh, another word picture is need. So one of the possible interpretations we can get out of this is Adam, the world's first, fell to desire. We can also get a word picture of the leader's firstborn, or Jesus, is needed. So again, I love these Hebrew word pictures because they just, they tell a greater story and they show that within the very word itself, God had his plan of salvation and something deeper for us to see. And what amazes me is all of those word pictures could be true. It's not just one or the other. Exactly. I mean, you mentioned that heaven is the destruction of chaos, but it's also the, you know, drinking the water. Both of those can be true because heaven would be the destruction of chaos. Yes. You know, we do need Jesus to save us. I mean, so any way you look at these word pictures, all of them can be true and they can be so much more than what we can find. Oh, yes. It's amazing. And and like we've said before, a lot of times what people will do, and this is one of the problems, is they'll see the word picture, the destruction of chaos which is accurate. It's an awesome word picture. But then they'll say, that's it. I found it. I'm done. And someone else will, will say, no, this can also mean the consumption of water. And then you get into a fight between two people. No, no, it means this. No, God is so awesome and so intricate. It means it all and more. He's so wonderful. He's so huge and expansive. It means it all. And he intended it to be that way. I've had encounters like that before where I have shared some insight that I believe and then someone has, you know, basically said, no, 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 that can't be true. And I have a tendency then to just shut down and wonder, you know, was what I said right or accurate? But the truth is, both versions can be correct, and so many more. Absolutely. We just have to 
keep God out of our little boxes. Again, let him define himself the way he wants to. And thank God he's not who we think he is. Yes. Praise the Lord. He's actually so much (laughs) more and so much better than the version that I created in my head. I remember when I was uh, creating a version that was always happy with me, and then I would get confused when I thought he wasn't answering when I really needed him. Yeah. Well, you know, he was always there. It was just my interpretation was very, very, very wrong. And I thank God that I'm getting those eyes that see and and I'm getting to know him better. Yeah, and you know what? Along those lines, last time, uh, I believe it was in the introduction, Brad shared that he had prayed for a helper, for someone who was godly to to be his friends, to be uh, someone who could help him along. And that prayer got answered to Brad. He didn't see it for years to come. He even he even said in, in the in the intro there, uh, forgive me if I'm correct me if I'm wrong here, but he said he knew me and and we had a relationship for about a year, year and a half before he finally realized that I was the answer to that prayer. But even before that, when Brad had prayed, God answered it. He said, Okay. I'm I'm on that, and he set up in Brad's life the pattern that would get him to that place that Brad, in time, would recognize and understand. But the moment he prayed that prayer, it was done. What we sometimes fail to do is recognize that it's happened, and so when we don't see it the next day or a week later or whenever we think our timeline demands that it be done we think oh god failed us and we walk away and god's going here's here's my plan right here but we just walked away from it you see you could have had what you were asking for it's right here nope we're walking away we so i'm getting off on a tangent again yeah just- but, <laughs> but but there is truth to it that's something that i've had to uh i won't say it was easy conclusion to come to but i've, I've had to come to this conclusion that god will do things in his time because he knows better than I do yes. when that time is perfect. He is wisdom. And what has amazed me um, as I've sought that relationship, um, and I've come to that conclusion that, oh yes, duh, it's I have to wait on his time, I then am getting better at noticing when he is actually answering something in the moment. Um, I've had a couple, a couple instances where I was in a prayer, God, I'm, I'm, I'm really stressed about this, or I'm really worried about this, and then I've had an immediate answer. Now, you know, the Brad who didn't work on the relationship may not have noticed in that moment that that was my relief, that was my help. But I'm getting that as I go along. The yes. more I chase, the more I'm understanding who he is, and I'm understanding how he helps us. Okay. Not that that's not awesome, but I'm going to put my blinders back on, get back on topic here. Uh, now, let's go on. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Going to expand it a little bit more. But isn't this awesome that we... I'm looking at my, my stopwatch here, and we've, we're at about the 40-minute mark. And this is all... Everything we've talked about is Genesis 1, 1. Isn't that amazing how awesome he is? Anyway, Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning... Elohim created the heaven and the earth. Now, the earth was unformed and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. 
And the spirit of Elohim hovered over the face of the waters. And Elohim said, let there be light. And there was light. So the first thing that jumped out at me here, I don't know what jumped out at you first, but the first thing that grabbed me was the fact that heaven and earth are created, but only the earth is pointed out here as unformed void and darkness upon the face of the deep. By implication, doesn't that mean heaven is not? Doesn't that mean right off the bat, heaven was formed and full and it had light? Just a thought. Again, could be wrong, but that's what grabs me. That's the first thing here. Both heaven and earth are created, but only the earth is specified as being unformed, void, and darkness upon the face of the deep. I'll just leave it at that. Something to think about. That's, that's what grabbed me right off the bat. Now, I started to look up the Hebrew word pictures here for a couple of them. Form and void. The earth, was out fo- the earth was without form and void, according to the King James. My Hebraic Roots version says the earth was unformed and void. Pretty much the same thing. You'd agree, I hope. At least Brad's nodding. You can't see it on there, but Brad's nodding. So form confused me. This really confused me when I looked it up. And the reason was, uh, so, so the King James says, without form. I do have to go back to the King James when I'm using Strong's Concordance because that's what it references. So the King James says, without form. So form is Strong's Concordance number 8414, tohu. Now, it means to lie waste, a desolation of surface, such as a desert. Figurative, figuratively, it's a worthless thing. And I thought, well, wait a second. This is without form. So isn't the Bible saying that this is without desolation, without waste, without worthlessness? And that was, what is it trying to say here? What's going on? But the more I looked, I read on, and in Strong's Concordance, it goes on to say that as an adverb, this means vain, confusion, empty place, nothing, vanity, waste, wilderness, without form. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized what we should have done, what Strong's Concordance should have done, is said the phrase without form. That's what's referring back to the original Hebrew word here. And that's why in my Hebraic roots version that attempts to go back to the Hebrew as much as possible, it just included it unified as unformed. That's the Hebrew word that's here. It's not without desolation, without form. That whole phrase is what's being interpreted here. What the strong, where the Strong's concordance fails at times is that it tries to tie a single English word to a single Hebrew word. And sometimes it doesn't. The Hebrew word means, like right here, without form. It means a phrase. It means several words that were translated in the King James Version to capture it appropriately. So what we're seeing here is the original Hebrew was unformed or without form. Now, there's a word picture here. Tohu. 
Tav, Hey, and Vav. Tav is mark, sign, covenant. It's the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Hey, again, is lo, behold, or the. And Vav is nail, peg, add, as in addition, or the, or the English word and. So one of the possible interpretations here that jumped out at me is the covenant is looking forward to adding the nail. It's looking forward to the addition of the nail. Now let's combine that with void, which is Strong's Concordance number 922. And the pronunciation here is bohu. So in without form and void, we have tohu and bohu. There is a similarity here. Now, the word void means a vacuity, an undistinguishable ruin, emptiness, void. Now, the word picture is bait, hey, and vav. So, without form was tav, hey, vav. This is bait, hey, vav. So, they're both somewhat, they both have a similarity. Now, bait, if you remember, is house or in. So one of the possible interpretations here is the house that God is creating, the house uh, here is looking forward to adding the nail. So the earth is without form and void. And in that picture, we see the, the house, that the earth, what God is creating is looking forward to the nail that God, it's not there yet. It's void. It, it's, it's without form because it needs the nail to finish the house, to finish the covenant. Any thoughts? Just you're blowing my mind again, Scott. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, that's it for what I've got today. There's more. There's a lot more with Genesis 1, 1 through 3, but I'm going to stop there because I think my time's pretty much coming to an end. Any thoughts you want to add as we wrap this up, Brad? Like usual, now I'm going to have to go and just contemplate everything. My mind has been blown again. Um, I really like how you ended that. It's so true. The The house needed the carpenter, needed the Jesus to come in and be the now. And that's just, thank God he did. All right. Well, thank you for listening once again. So once again, we're going to wrap this up. Hope you join us for our our next conversation or uh, Genesis or Revelation podcast or whatever we decide to do next. And as always, I'm Scott. I'm Brad. And this has been Not About Us.